Hello and welcome to Adventures in Venue Land, an EAMC podcast. This is your all-access pass to go backstage and behind the scenes with some of the brightest minds that cross the scope of the live entertainment industry. I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. We'll introduce you to some of our favorite people as we dive deep into the world of live touring shows and the venues that host them. Hello, and welcome to a bonus episode of Adventures in Venueland. Today's episode is a little bit different. It's a detour or a side trip where we take a single serving look at a topic impacting the live entertainment industry. Paul, I'll let you introduce our guest today. Thanks, Dave. We're here with Cheryl Cohen, who's the Director of Booking, Marketing, and Public Relations at Dunkin' Donuts Center and Rhode Island Convention Center. Hey, Cheryl. How's it going? Hey, guys. How are you? Good to see you. Good to see you. So good to see you. Before we get into our big issue of the day, if somebody's never been to the Dunkin' Donuts Center and the Rhode Island Convention Center, what do you guys have going on there? Well, we are in the heart of Providence, only major arena in Rhode Island, I would say. I'd love to say. We have a convention center and an arena, both managed by ASM Global. And we've been open in the arena since the early 70s. And the convention center came along a little later, and we merged both facilities back in 05. So we've been operating both facilities along with some parking garages that are here, and we host the AHL Providence Bruins, and we also host the Big East Providence College Men's Basketball. So we're home to those two, as well as doing everything else that everybody does in the arena business. <laughs> right. Well, we'll look forward to those days of being able to do those kind of regular things again, right? But for right now, you guys are kind of going through something a little bit different. And of course, like so many of us did in the past year, talk to us a little about the pandemic and some of the things that have happened there at the Dunkin' Donuts Center. Well, interesting enough, when all of this started in March, we went to a shelter in place just like everybody else did across the country. And as time evolved, we really felt a need to be involved with the community because of our footprint in the state of Rhode Island. Being one of the biggest facilities, we were able to contribute a lot in terms of real estate that could help with COVID. We began working with the Rhode Island Department of Health and actually the Rhode Island National Guard and the governor's office. And we first started, I think it was only a few weeks into COVID when people realized that field hospitals were going to become a necessity. Right. We actually put together a field hospital that was state of the art. It's not your typical MASH unit. It actually has negative air pressure. We brought in all of the state of the art equipment. As if you were in a hospital, it is set up. It was 600 beds. It was pulled together in two weeks. We had teams of hundreds and hundreds of construction workers building out X halls at the convention center into this field hospital. It took probably max two weeks to build, an amazing feat. So that was already set. It was when we thought we were going to have a big surge and we were going to need the field hospitals. Well, fortunately, at that point, things over the summer started to taper down. Late spring, they tapered down a little bit and COVID wasn't as prominent as it is right now in the medical area where they were running out of beds and everything else. So approximately a month or so ago, when the surge started again, we knew and the hospitals knew that this was going to be a necessity to 
get the field hospital up and running again. They actually had begun to decommission the hospital. They had pulled out some of the beds. They had pulled out not major aspects of the hospital, more minor stuff. They were starting to decommission. And the governor said, no, stop. We're going to need this. The hospital said, okay, we're starting to see a surge. We're going to need beds. We know we're going to be in a situation. Don't do anything else. A couple of weeks after that, lo and behold, we welcomed our first patient. Since then, we have had actually 175 patients go through the hospital. Wow. Wow. The hospital can hold up to 600, but we've had 175. And the reason that it hasn't gone to the 600 is because it's very difficult to find nurses and medical personnel. They're being maxed out at the hospitals. It's hard to find them to come in and service another whole 600 bed facility. So there are two field hospitals in the state of Rhode Island. One is obviously at our convention center. The other was in an old building, formerly a citizens bank building that they converted. And that one is smaller. And there's two different major hospital providers in the state. Ours is provided by Lifespan. The other is provided by Care New England. The reason that they opened both is because when they take you out of the hospital situation and they put you into this field hospital billing and everything and your records, it's easier if each of the providers had their own system in place. Yeah, that makes sense. It made it a lot easier to have the two. The other one, I'm not sure how many patients have been through there, but again, they've hired traveling nurses from all over the country to come in. Right now, we're the fourth highest in positivity rate per 100,000 people. Are these patients that are coming through, are they COVID patients? Are the COVID patients being prioritized to the hospitals and these are people with other medical issues or is that a little mix? These are all COVID patients. And so they're not stable enough to go home, but they are stable enough with oxygen to be let go out of the hospital setting. Because our situation with the hospital is that it's actually modeled just like a hospital and the care and the doctors and the emergency people that are there are able to deal with any situation. It is okay to send them there. And I think in a lot of cases, and I'm not sure if this is true across the country, but nursing homes weren't bringing folks back until they had had a negative test because of the situation. Nursing homes would have them stay in a hospital longer. Right. And that was taking up space and beds. We have a combination of a lot of elderly folks waiting to get that negative test before they can go back to the nursing home. But then, you know, there's just a lot of COVID patients that are stable enough, don't need the hospital beds and can come over to the field hospital beds. Cheryl, this is a world of difference from what we do on a regular basis. I think a lot of venues were in that situation that you kind of described from last March, where maybe they talked about possibilities or maybe they actually got a field hospital, but not a lot actually ever received that patient one. So tell me about how that impacts things, because I think all of us are comfortable, you know, going to work and, you know, setting things up and being ready. But it's a big difference when it actually happens. And when you have people who have tested positive and they are there and they are on site at the facility, it's a world of difference for your operations staff and everyone involved for the way that, you know, media wants to come out and cover things. So walk us through what it's like to actually go from something that's in theory to having patients on site and how that impacted your staff. 
it's really quite an experience. We started, as I mentioned, we had the field hospital built. We were all ready to go. We had all been trained on what was going to be a hot zone, where you could go, where you can't go, which personnel would be operating certain areas at certain times in terms of sanitizing and cleaning. But for the most part, the hospital area, the hot zone, was completely operated by the Lifespan Hospital. Once that accepted patient zero or patient one, we weren't allowed to go back into that area. So we remain from loading docks to where the ambulance pulls in. Every patient that comes in comes in by ambulance. There's an admitting section. There's even a mini crash ER room set up. There's a pharmacy set up. All of that is in the hot zone. So people know that in order to go into that hot zone, they have to be completely covered with PPE and protected and pretty much medical personnel. Then on the flip side, we also, prior to it opening, were doing testing. So the Rhode Island National Guard was using our parking garages for drive-through testing along with CBS. And so we had lanes of cars going through and getting tested. That wasn't the rapid testing. There was one line for rapid testing as well. So outside the building, we had rapid testing. Inside the building, we had the hospital. And then at the same time, probably about a month ago, we started rapid testing walk-up in the arena. Wow. So we're doing the new Vinex rapid testing walking here. And we are building all of the test kits hand-in-hand with the Rhode Island National Guard that get distributed to all the hospitals. Anywhere that a test kit is distributed in the state of Rhode Island, the schools, the hospitals, nursing homes, group homes, doctor's offices, everywhere gets built here at the dunk. So our staff, we brought a bunch of them back on and believe it or not, they're doing test kit building. They're helping with traffic outside at the drive-through testing. So there are areas that are not hot zones that they're working in to help. And we brought them back to work doing something totally different, but Oddly enough, all these logistics and all the planning, it's like planning an event. It's like working an event. It's like we have event days every day. It's kind of weird to say it because we're doing something totally outside of entertainment and sports, but it's the same concept of getting all this prepared and getting our staff prepared. So it's pretty interesting. It's kind of sobering in a way too. Sure. Because we're seeing thousands of people come through to get tested every day. Yeah, it's really sad to see. And what was sad too for me, in a couple of cases, I have been standing where people are going through to get tested. And all of a sudden, a mom says to her little five-year-old boy, oh, this is where we used to come to see Munster Jam. That breaks my heart. Gosh. I'm like, no, you come to see Monster Jam here. It's not that you used to come. You come. Yeah. Yeah, you will come back. Yes. And I have to read you guys one of the patrons that went through to be tested, posted. Yeah, I would love it. And I have to read this to you. Sure. She wrote, there have been a few times when all this COVID stuff has gotten to me. This is one of them. I'm sitting in a building that I would otherwise be skipping to get into, sitting in a floor seat I would otherwise kill to have. I'm watching people straggle in, no drinks, no food. Instead of pump up crowd music, I'm listening to a member of the National Guard on repeat explaining how to stick a Q-tip up your nose. It's hard to even think about what its emptiness means for so many, for an entire industry. My Christmas wish for 2021 is to once again be filled with concerts, hockey, basketball, Disney on Ice, Monster Truck, and so much more. Oh, oh. 
I was like, oh my God, I can't believe that. That gave me chills. Yeah, these people are coming in, get tested, and they're scared. And they're in a place where they're supposed to be enjoying everything. I'm sure that's a bittersweet thing because like you said, it's sad that they're, of course, associating this very negative experience with the building. But I also do think that these buildings that normally are an outlet for entertainment, which is so important, I think it's positive to me that they're able to serve another purpose, even if they are shut down in that regard. If there's no concerts and family shows out there, The fact that you have this space that can be a field hospital and it can be a large testing center. And although that's not the most positive outlook, it really is a positive service to the community and city. Absolutely. And, you know, that's something that is much deeper, is really great that the venue can be there for the city, even if it's not in the most positive way, it can be there for the city. And then when things come back, it can return to be there in a positive way. Yeah, I have to say it is a very rewarding feeling because we were able to bring employees back to work, which was great. We are working with the National Guard. It's kind of funny because we have meetings and they'll go, your mission is, and it's like, you feel like you're in the guard. I'm like, wow, I feel, (laughs) you know, or we get referred to as the civilians are doing this and you feel like you're helping, like the National Guard, those guys that are here, some of them are being redeployed right now into certain other areas of COVID that are happening. There's some vaccine sites opening up. We are probably also going to become a vaccine site in about a month or so. Sure. The guard gets deployed off. So we supplement, particularly in the test kit building area, we've supplemented what the guard was doing because they were building about 20,000 test kits a day. We're now up to like 40 or 50,000 test kits a day with our civilians that are building with the guard, which is important because any hospital on a given day will call and order 30,000 test kits. So you always have to keep your supply up. Never thought in a million years I'd know all about nasal test kits and what they do and how they work in your nose and everything, but uh, you kind of adapt. To your point, Paul, it has been rewarding to know that people can come here, feel comfortable enough to come here because they've been here before. So it's not a strange place to a lot of people to come to get something that is a little scary. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Because a lot of people, the first time they have a COVID test, they're scared. They don't know what to expect. Young kids are coming here getting COVID tested. Kind of scary. Yeah. But they know they've come here for good things. So maybe that helps a little bit. Maybe it's a little less scary. I don't I don't know. I hope it is. Cheryl, one last question for you. What have you learned through this process? Because you talked about learning, and that's one of the biggest things over this past year is we've all had to stretch some learning muscles. And you know, everybody gets so good at what they do. And oh, yeah, I know how to pull all this. And But this year has definitely been a year of growth. What have you learned through this process that you would go back in time and tell pre-pandemic Cheryl, hey, here's one tip for you. That you have to be very resourceful and very flexible. Plans when you're dealing with government agencies, National Guard folks, Rhode Island Department of Health change in a heartbeat. We're doing it this way. Two minutes later, no, we've scrapped that plan. We're going to do a whole new plan. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Which is part great because in the event business, that happens. (laughs) Yeah. And I think one of the things that we've done so well because of having so many people in the event business doing this operation 
they know how to manage crowds. They know how to get people through quickly better than your corner CVS. I'm sure they know how to do things, but we can do it on a mass scale. So it helps. But being resourceful and being flexible is probably the biggest thing. (laughs) Absolutely. I can't even imagine. Well, hey, before I let you go, anything you want to plug, somebody wants to reach out to you or check out venue, social or anything like that, venue website. How can people learn more about Cheryl and or the fun that you have going on there in Rhode Island? Feel free to email me. My email is right on the DunkinDonutCenter.com website. But I'm happy to talk to anybody, particularly anybody that has gone through this experience too, because you do face your challenges every day. It's a little scary at times too. Yeah. You're around something that nobody knows a lot about that changes so frequently and everything changes from minute to minute. So I'd be happy to commiserate with anybody. (laughs) I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, Cheryl, thank you so much for joining us today for this special bonus episode of Adventures in Venueland. Remember, everyone out there, you can subscribe and find more episodes wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We'd love your five-star reviews so you can help others find us. Until the next adventure, I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. Thanks for listening, everyone.